where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm Barry and I'm here with James. Hello. And today we're looking at the episode Tale of Two Cuties. What a lovely title. It describes us, doesn't it, Barry? It does, James. I'm a cutie and you're a cutie. And you audience out there, you just have to take our word on that because you can't see us. So um... Yeah, we are both incredibly handsome individuals and the podcast does not do us justice, I have to say. Just have to... You know, accept that. <laughs> this is episode 15 of season six, aired on the 21st of January, 1988, directed by Michael Zinberg and written by Sheree Aiken and Bill Steinkellner. Well, how does this one open, James? This one opens with no dialogue at all is heard in this scene, just babies crying, which is barely dialogue. Oh, until they find a way to translate... Until until they've learned their lines, yeah. Yeah. But they're at the maternity ward because Carla's twins have been born, which is nice. It is. But this scene isn't particularly nice. I think <laughs> no. I think it's their intention for comedy is good, but actually I imagine this would be quite heartbreaking. Yeah. Should we explain why? Let's do it. It starts off there's this elderly couple, I assume, looking at their grandchild. It's just been one there looking at the window. Then the gang from Cheers comes in with their balloons and their whatnot. They've probably had many a beer. They walk in and we're like, oh, let's have a look at those children then. They're like, oh, they're so, so cute. Look at them. Carla goes, hey, guys, over here. These are my kids. Go to look at them. Not impressed. Go back to the other random kids. Which is, um, Carla would be absolutely crestfallen if yeah. people had come to look at kids and gone, not those ones. Mm, don't want to look at your kids, Carla. I think they know what's to come. I think they're going to be trouble. Yeah. But still, it's a bit bit mean. Just don't yeah. go. Poor Carla. But it was visually quite a nice scene. Like you say, done all in silence. You could see them shouting to each other and calling them over. So no dialogue needed. Yeah, exactly. Which I thought, you know, was creative in its own right. Interesting way to do it because we got to know exactly what was happening without Darren. So this this episode is Carla Light, but not Carla Family Light. It's Carla by proxy. Yeah, Carla one step removed. But she does have a tip jar, which gets in a nice early gag that she's getting more tips while she's away from the bar. How does this episode kick off, James? Cliff comes in with a smutty novel. He does. And, and Frazier's scornful of it, but then gives it a little read. And then gives it a, a long read. <laughs> Before this happens, it uh, prompts a, a very nice but fairly cheap joke from Norm. Cliff brings the book and says to Norm, oh, have you read it? And he says, Vera took me into reading this. And Cliff says, is she a fan? And Norm says, no, when Vera's talking, I'll read just about anything. Oh, classic Norm. Classic Norm. And their relationship, <laughs> I do question their relationship. I know it's been... Up and down in all these series, but there doesn't seem to be much love lost between the two of them. Yeah, and I don't know whether that's because they genuinely dislike each other or whether they just are very comfortable with the other one doing their own thing. Yeah. You know, it's a marriage of convenience is what it seems like. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Because anyway, Norm's never there anyway, is he? <laughs> yeah. Clifford has got this book because he's, it's a bit of a page turner. 
Mm. Maybe not the most classically written book, as Frazier suggests. He's a snob and can't see why anyone would find any appeal in a book like this. But it quickly becomes apparent he's going to read it anyway. Don't go on. I have the same questions of books of this type. What, your, your Dan Browns of this world? Do you think that's an insult to Dan Brown? No, the, the smutty novels. Oh, I see. The the kind of novels that my nan listens to. She listens to audiobooks. Yeah, those types of ones. Don't get the appeal. But I wait until the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally I chastise you for saying, don't read, watch the film. But in this case, I'm not sure the, the merit is lost in either way. No. <laughs> a lot of these books have a very similar plot, which is a lady whose marriage has fallen apart and then takes on a new exciting lover and goes off traveling a tall dark stranger walks in Mm. and flaunts themselves and often the cover of the book is a a lady settled under a tree or in the embrace of said muscly manual laborer in misery the stephen king books in the film version of it because Kathy Bates' character obviously has all the misery books. On one of the covers, it's much like this. It's a muscular man holding a kind of damsel in distress, but the muscular man has Stephen King's face. Oh, what a nice touch. <laughs> I like that because, you know, Stephen King, not a muscular man. No, archetypal geek looks about him, hasn't he? Yeah, it was it was funny seeing, seeing this, you know. Henry Cavill seems to be the archetype these days, doesn't it? Yeah, he's got, he's got the jaw. Yeah. Anyway, so Frazier's reading one of these books. He's just kept up with that throughout the episode, isn't he? He is. And again, that part of the story doesn't seem to go anywhere. It's just a chance for them to frustrate him by revealing the plot to him. Saucy spoilers. Yeah. And just to show that Frazier's been sucked into this tat completely, as we all are at time to time. Sucked into the tat, yep. Yeah. I do like a bit of... I, I read a, a series of books recently about a spiders taking over the world. Isn't that War of the Worlds? No, because that's a classic and this is pretty dreadful, but in a very <laughs> compelling way. Hordes of spiders overrunning the landscape. It's, you know, quite a fascinating image, but the books themselves are really sort of trashy. Some of our listeners may disagree if they recognise the books I'm talking about. <laughs> Ah, uh, Attack of the Thousand Spider. That's the ones. <laughs> I tried to read a few sci-fi books that were recommended, but just terrible, cliched characters and writing. But I must admit, the spider one really held my attention. Meanwhile, as Carla's not there, they're looking for a um, replacement. A temporary. A temporary cocktail waitress, that's the word. Mm. Apparently there's someone who's hired by the corporation, but... Q, another members of the Tortelli family. Yes, Anthony and his wife, Annie, stroll in. A bit hard for cash. They asked to borrow $5 from Sam to give to Carla as a... To give to his ma and his new half-brothers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Louie, hey. you want a burger? <laughs> I hope there's no one uh, living in that area who's listening to our awful impressions. What I love, brother, is he asks for $5 and the sound goes, what are you thinking of going? He goes, I was going to give her $5. <laughs> and uh, so she's he's struggling for work. Yeah. He's no longer employed at Nick's business. Yes. 
And he's not keen on the idea of Annie having a job because he feels like he's the man of the house. But Annie is keen on having a job at Cheers to help them both out. And Sam isn't against the idea. So it seems like they have a wealth of choices here because at the same time, like you said, James, the corporation is looking for a spot for someone to work in the bar as well. Yes. They found a bright blonde thing to fill the spot, which Rebecca's unhappy about. She thinks this is a, what would you call it? A floozy. She has many worse terms for. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Um, She thinks that this is Mr. Drake's bit on the side that he's trying to do a favour for. I mean, if Mr. Drake did have a bit on the side, it might be okay because him and his wife are separated. So it depends what agreement they've come to. If they've agreed that it's not a work out and, you know, they could see others, fine. Basically, what I'm saying is if divorce procedures are already started, Evan Drake can kind of date who he wants. So the question here, and it isn't answered in this episode, is where is Rebecca's real annoyance? And is it that she's got an interest in this Mr. Drake? It is, yeah. Which comes out repeatedly during this episode as she continues to harass and question this new bar staff member. And she, after hearing the call, she asks the gang, so this waitress is coming in. Let's play a game. You like games? Sometimes I like to play little guessing games. Do you like to play little guessing games, guys? Let's play a little guessing game. I just spoke to Mr. Drake, and he suggested that I hire a young girl he knows to cover for Carla. Now, why do you suppose a busy, important man like Mr. Drake would take time out of his day to get a simple cocktail waitress a job? Uh, she's, uh, she's a friend of the family. Possible. He's uh, paying off a debt. I like that. You feel sorry for her. He does have a soft heart. Maybe she's sleeping with him. Of course the little tramp is sleeping with him. I think friend of the family seems the most plausible. Yeah. Uh, one of the suggestions, wasn't there? She may be someone they're trying to force out the company, and so they're putting her in the worst place possible uh, to make her just quit. Possible. Although I don't think Cheers is the worst place in the world. Seems like quite a nice bar to me. No, but it might be the worst place owned by the corporation. Well, this is true. Could be a veritable utopia everywhere else. Like that function they had just uh, last week there. Mm. So who is Mr. Drake to Mr. Collier? Drake is Rebecca's direct boss, basically. And possible love interest at some point along the line. It's certainly suggesting that might happen. And we'll come to that later, but it's certainly an actor I recognise. And if I recognise someone, then he's got a part to play more than just in this episode. Oh, yeah, he's Viper. And many other things, I'm sure. Throughout season six so far, he's been a presence, Evan Drake has. He's been in the background influencing a lot of what Rebecca does because she's trying to prove her success and worth both in business and as a romantic interest. This is one of the times where it kind of, it doesn't come to a head, but it certainly causes direct conflict. Involving a head, which we'll come to later. In the meantime, because they've obviously hired this young girl, suggested by the corporation, Annie can't have that all, so she's just working for tips. Which is a sham. Yes, in America, obviously, they have a higher tip percentage. They do. It's something that in the UK we look upon with bemusement, I think. The idea that the majority of your wage is gathered through donations. It's a different social thing. I mean, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but in the UK, there is a standard tip of 10%. 
Voluntary. That's it. It's a voluntary tip of 10%. And you by no means have to give said tip. But if you liked the service, you can essentially give an amount of tip Ooh. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can you can essentially reflect how much you liked the service <laughs> by the amount of that 10% tip you add to the bill the amount of tip yeah <laughs> so if you had no issue with the service and you think you did a good job not just in bringing the food but personable skills 10% if you're like oh they did terribly uh, there were so many issues no tip if they think it is, yeah, quite good. Mid-tip. Mid-tip. <laughs> Some odd phrases coming out here. But there is, because we know that the bar staff are getting a wage, there's no associated guilt with not giving a tip, which I don't know if it exists anywhere else, but certainly for someone who's who knows that that person is relying on the tip, I'd feel guilted into giving the tip regardless. Yes, we've got the politics out the way, and <laughs> Annie's earning just tips. Yeah, as are we, James. Sorry, <laughs> well, I was going to say if anyone, if any of our listeners want to tip us, but if you've liked our service and you do want to give a voluntary tip, check out our Patreon where there's an option of a tip jar just to thank us. Our online tip jar. Our online tip jar, exactly. We also have other things we can offer you, like shouting out your name in every episode, some newsletters and even bonus episodes, like a little after-dinner treats. Those are those bonus episodes. We now have two new barmaids at the Cheers Bar. One, I presume, is working for a wage. The other is working for Just Tips. Just the tips, yeah. Just the tips. So we have Annie, who has a little sort of frisson going with Sam. And we have the other lady, Laurie, who has a bit of a frisson with Rebecca. Essentially two side-by-side storylines going on here. Should we talk about the cast? Let's do that, James. Tom Skerritt as Evan Gregory Drake. This is the first time his middle name is acknowledged. Mandy Ingber as Annie Tortelli. Timothy Williams as Anthony Tortelli. And Bobby Eakes as Laurie. She also appeared in Matlock, Falcon Crest, The Wonder Years, 21 Jump Street, Full House, Days of Our Lives, Jag, The Bold and the Beautiful, All My Children, and many more. Paul Wilson appears as Paul. Philip Pullman is uncredited as Phil. Al Rosen is uncredited as Al. And Wendy Wells Gunkel is uncredited as Bar Patron. Mandy Ingber there. Her birthday is sometime this month. But in this episode... What she'd like as a little birthday treat is Mayday Malone, is what she'd like. Yeah, she's quite taken. It becomes apparent quite early on with some of her descriptions of Sam as a hulking stallion of a man. Sam. What? Could I ask your opinion as a passionate macho stud horse? (laughs) Which is a great line. Anthony, her husband, is quite a short man. Well, you've seen his parents. Yeah. Um, but And again, him and his wife are both of similar stature and Sam towers over them. This comparison is a bit cruel, really, because the whole point of this episode is that Anthony feels less of a man because he doesn't have a job and he isn't able to support. And here's the physicalities of that being rammed home as well, that Sam is this hulking stud of a man because he's so tall and Anthony can't compete, which... I didn't think it was necessary and is kind of never resolved either. All it suggests is that Annie wants someone else. <laughs> yeah, but luckily Sam isn't interested. He's, he's like, Annie, just go away. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it could have been a much more uncomfortable episode if he'd uh, reciprocated. But no, luckily he goes, no, I don't want this, Annie. Please leave. But he can't because she's meant to be working there. So instead he just run, keeps going running to the other side of the bar. Who is watching them, James? It appears to be uh, some kind of Amish man. It does. It does look like that, yeah. Very thick beard and hair. So in disguise is Anthony sitting at the back of the bar watching this. And when Sam is actually giving very positive advice to Annie about what she should do about Anthony and his worries, she kisses him on the cheek to say thank you. And of course, Anthony watching from a distance thinks this is a romantic tryst and leaves the bar. Beard in tow. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't ever seem to want to challenge Sam. He doesn't no. think he can. So he doesn't particularly fight for her, but then I think he's been quite sensible that a man twice his height isn't really a worthwhile fight. <laughs> there was one point where Annie was flirting with Sam, and to make a point, Sam tries to calculate how old she'll be when he is 60, mm. uh, to make a point of the age difference. And he says 22. Now, I don't know how Sam how old he's supposed to be. I think his maths is way off. <laughs> yeah. From what I can gather, she is she's about 20 years younger than Sam. Mm. But this also, it does present the creepy side of Sam as well, because at that thought of her being much younger and the idea that when he's 60, she'll still be younger, sets off, it, it piques his interest just for a moment. He's nothing but consistent, I suppose. He has issues, that man. Yeah, he's a lech. Which is odd, really. I mean, I suppose it's a character flaw that's carried through and has been investigated. There's that particular episode where he does try it on a, with a younger lady and finds out it's a, a colleague's daughter, is that right? And he's left quite lonely and introspective at the end. So he still hasn't learned. Or maybe that's just a, a slight bit of his past popping through. But he doesn't follow through. It's just a momentarily... It just goes, the maths checks out, the morals don't. Yeah, you're absolutely right, James. He does eventually side with his morals rather than his maths, which is the right decision, but I'm disappointed that maths has been painted in a bad light here. Despite the morals and the maths, Annie full-on launches herself at Sam. She does. She's quite a voracious lady. Yeah, she's got similarities to Carla in that respect. Mm, yeah, and Carla's always... There's always been a veiled romanticism between Sam and Carla, hasn't there? An interesting relationship. But anyway, she throws herself at him. And for the purposes of comedy, a kiss happens where Sam is obviously not interested in trying to push her off, but not really putting the effort in because... He keeps his hands off. He, he hands yeah. up just to show I'm not doing it. I'm very passive in this interaction. Yeah. For the purposes of being caught, essentially, by Anthony, who arrives in the bar newly uniformed in his fast food attire. So he's obviously got a new job. Interestingly, uh, upon catching them in this tryst, he doesn't appear that angry. Again, he doesn't seem willing to challenge Sam and no. instead challenges Annie. Because he can take Annie. Yeah. <laughs> he reasserts his masculine authority. While dressed like a McDonald's worker. Yeah. And and she, showing she's the perfect partner to him, she's absolutely taken by this new uniform and thinks that he's the, the best thing ever. Yeah, there, there are so many similarities between Annie and Carla and Anthony and Nick. It's quite something. It's, it's like seeing a younger version of them. Yeah, and it, they're very well cast as well. Yeah. It is interesting. So the, the, the short and long of it is Annie returns to Anthony 
and they slide out the bar happily, restored to what for them is normality. Yeah, they go home full of lust and Annie tells him to keep the hat. You can keep your hat on. That was a lovely musical interlude. I bet people were really getting their jig on when we started that on. Speaking of getting jigs on and lust, Fraser is fed up with people spoiling the book for him. So he spoils many things. Yes, including Star Wars. Star Wars, Citizen Kane and Murder on the Orient Express. Let's put the spoilers in. Spoiler alert. I'll be off now. But before I go, something I'd like to share with you. In Citizen Kane, Rosebud is the name of his sled. In Murder on the Orient Express, everyone did it. And Luke Skywalker's father is Darth Vader. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why doesn't the guy tell us something we don't know, huh? Darth Vader is Luke's father? (laughs) Thank you to Fraser for ruining three films if you haven't seen them. Fraser. We return to the storyline with Laurie. And this is where it comes to that head you spoke of. Mm, yes. So Rebecca has become increasingly frustrated not knowing the nature of Laurie and Mr. Drake's relationship and is pushing her for an answer. In her haste, this is a bit brutal. She punches her. Bam, right in the kisser. Right in the kisser, yeah, and knocks her down. And at that point, Mr. Drake walks in. Rebecca's thinking, I punched your lover in the face. Not so pretty now, is she? Yeah, and it turns out that Laurie is actually... Drake's daughter. She's Laurie Drake. She is, which makes some of her responses to questions earlier in the episode seem a bit odd. She states that they're friends at one point which I suppose is not too much of a leap for her. She wanted to disguise nepotism, but Norm was pretty close when he said it was about giving her the worst job in the company. <laughs> Evan Drake wanted to give her a job so she knew what it felt like not to be the boss's daughter. Yeah, and she got punched. So <laughs> That's what know. it feels like. Yeah. Rebecca somehow gets away with this by suggesting she has a tick, a violent tick, and she punches Sam in the nose to demonstrate that this is doesn't have any specific targets. <laughs> There's a lovely line here, actually, that reminded me of one of my favourite ever, a really clever line in Blackadder. For anyone who hasn't seen Blackadder Goes Forth, there's a character in it called Darling. It's his surname, and everyone calls him Darling, and it's such a wonderful joke that somehow gets funnier and funnier every time someone refers to this character as darling. And in this scene, Mr. Drake says to his daughter, are you going to be all right, baby? And Sam is the one who answers and says, I'll be fine. (laughs) And it's really nice. Darling, what a wonderful character that is. For anyone who hasn't seen Blackadder Goes Forth, it's a great, great series. Speaking of going forth, is that trivia? It is, James. That was a lovely segue. As usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. What is the name of the book? Ah, Lust for Justice. Ooh. Mm. It's better than Just for Lustice. (laughs) There's a series of spoilers given for that book. Can you name them, James? Lorenzo Dies. Yep. Something like the Italian consulate has an affair. And that she's discovered she's not actually a woman, I think, is briefly alluded to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know how 
what the term is used to describe Lorenzo dying? Drowning. It was hemorrhaging. Oi. Oi, yeah. <laughs> That's it's not a light term at all, is it? It's, it reminds me of um, the Spanish hat. He asphyxiated on vomit. We don't know who. <laughs> okay, James, have you got another question for me? What is Anthony's new job? He's a uh, fast food, chopping lettuce and onions and things like that. But I couldn't tell you exactly the, the company. He's the assistant night manager at Burger, Burger, Burger. Burger, Burger, Burger. Burger, Burger, Burger. What do they sell there? I see what you did. What did they sell there? Very good, Barry. They sell ice cream. They probably do, knowing these fast food places these days. Do you have any other quiz for me, James? I have no more quiz. I'm I'm quizzed out as well. That's the last call. We might order it a burger, burger, burger. Yeah, I wonder if they do drinks as well. Ooh. So are we saying we're having a beer and a burger? Classic. What more yeah. do you need? Absolutely. Thank you, James. It's been wonderful. It has. Thank you. And thank you to you listeners for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.